Praise God. If we could remain standing for the initial reading of the word, I'm going to be starting in Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to go through verse 6 and verse 7. If you're there, say amen. It says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with your thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I want to speak just a little bit tonight on something that I titled, Not Surprised. You can be seated. The first part of that, when it says, careful for nothing, means I'm not going to have anxiety. Now, that's kind of a tall order. Sometimes, right? I know sometimes when things are out of my control, I don't like that very much. <laughs> Let me, I don't want to understand. I don't like it at all. Okay? My, my flesh, the, the natural part of me and my being, I want to control things. I want things to turn out in the way that I expected so that I'm not surprised. So when it says, can we bring that back up? I want to I break that down a little bit before I move on. I want to make sure I get this across the way God laid it on me. But in everything by prayer and supplication. Now, one thing that it's easy for myself and others, I hope I get an amen on this, but It's easy to get into that, that realm when, when I don't want to be upset by being surprised, but at the same time, it's hard not to slip into that apathy. God isn't telling us to, to just not care or not be affected when things don't work out the way that we think they should or when we see a, 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 a child of ours fall away or slip into something that they shouldn't. It doesn't mean that we aren't supposed to care, but somehow we've got to manage to continue caring, but give our needs to God. Does that make sense? The Bible doesn't conflict itself. It gives us balance. When it shows both sides of the coin, and somehow we have to figure out how to, how to balance that in the middle. With prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, sometimes we have to give some thanks before we see results. If I'm giving thanks before the results come, I'm not very surprised when they do. Amen? On to verse 7, please. And the peace of God. That's the key right there. The peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That is the key. Do you want peace through those trials? Do you want 
that, that peace of mind through, through trying to, to find your way through that balance of, of caring, but yet not having anxiety about these trials right there. That's that peace. It only comes from God, and what we're never going to understand it because the Bible tells us it passes all understanding. As we've been going through uh, a theme of faith, uh, I, I, I don't know if, if you take notes this way, but I like to, to write down the, the special things that, that jump out of the pages towards me. So as we've went through that, I've seen a common theme through the very many characters that have been used by all the preachers. And that common theme is that even though these characters were going through something that easily we could call the worst thing, you ever hear the teen say, that's just the worst? Well, these things really could be the worst thing that ever happened to you in your entire life. No exaggeration. But even through those trials, this theme that I see is, a man or woman of faith does not let their circumstances dictate their identity. I'm going to say that again. A man or woman of faith does not let their circumstances dictate their identity. I, I'm not going to remember who preached what except for the first one, Brother Dave. I know you preached about Daniel. And I believe you also preached about the three, three Hebrews. In Daniel 6.21, Daniel was in the worst position in his life, in a lion's den. But yet his response was, oh king, live forever. In Daniel chapter 3, we have the three Hebrews about to be put into a fiery furnace. Their response, I love this. This is real faith. Don't, don't tell me you can't say, you know what? It should turn out. I have faith that it will. But if it doesn't, I'm not going to change my mind. That's real faith that can be applied right now. It says, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. In Job chapter 1, verse 22, we see Job's response after everything comes crashing down. In all this, Job sinned not. He didn't even charge God foolishly. In Genesis chapters 39 and 40, I didn't give you to that, that uh, sis, so don't panic. But Joseph, when he was in prison, did he wallow in self-pity? No, he didn't. He continued to do God's work. He continued to keep the faith. Not only that, he was interpreting dreams while he was still in prison. In Psalms 51, we see the response to King David after sinning. He didn't let that sin become his identity. Psalms chapter 51 is a perfect example of what we do after we sin, and that's repent. After I repent, that sin has no business attaching itself to my identity. 
You see, the, the devil tries to throw all sorts of things, and we sometimes pick up things willingly. There's so much junk out there that wants to attach itself to you and become a part of your identity. And if we just shake it off, either repent or say, I don't know how, but it's going to work out some way because God has not let me down so far. Or what if it's a physical affliction? In Acts chapter 3, verse 8, we see a lame man. For a while he was wearing the identity of not only a lame man, but a beggar. But after he had that revelation, he realized who he really was. I'm not a lame man. I'm someone who's a worshiper. And what did he do immediately after that revelation? It says he, leaping up, he stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. He knew exactly where he was supposed to be after that revelation. If I could just sum them all up this way, I would say instead of a meal to a lion, I am a blessing to those in authority above me. Instead of fuel for a fire, I am a loyal servant of God. Instead of a man who looks destroyed in every single way, I am a blessed man of God. Instead of a prisoner, I am a prophet. Instead of an adulterer, I am a king. And instead of a cripple, I am a worshiper. We have a say in our identity. I don't care what my circumstances say. I don't care what my health says. I don't care what my bank account says. I am a blessed child of God. Amen. Can we go to Jeremiah 17, please? I, I almost had a... Had a tough time. This stopped me right in my tracks while I was trying to study for this. Last night, I, I even texted Brad. I said, I'm just getting worked over by this verse. I hope I do it justice telling you what God laid on me right here. I want to read both these verses, sis, and if we could go right back, and I'd like to break it down. It says, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Back to verse 7, please. I love this part. You may, it may not make sense at the time. Like we said at the very beginning, it, it goes beyond our understanding. All understanding, in fact. But trusting in the Lord, there are always blessings that follow that trust. And I love how it's, how it, it, it's put right here. It says that my hope's not just in the Lord, His abilities. No, 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 no. My hope is the Lord. That means a little bit more. It means I don't need to understand how he's going to do it. I don't need to understand exactly how this is going to come to pass. Because my hope is the Lord. Somehow, some way, he's going to come through for me. Verse 8, please. For he shall be as a tree planted by waters, spreadeth out her roots, and shall not see when heat cometh. That part really stuck out to me. 
That means I'm not focused, I'm not anxious at what might happen, what might fall apart, what looks like is about to befall me. I'm only focused on moving forward. I'm only focused on how the Lord is working in my life. And shall not be careful in the year of drought. That means, (laughs) I, I hope I can get this out. In other words, I am surprised when it looks like things aren't working out. I am surprised when the answer seems to not be coming. But I'm not surprised when I yield fruit. I'm not surprised when I see the Lord working through me because my hope is the Lord. Amen? Now there's... There's a disgusting habit that mankind has when someone falls, sins, or something falls apart in their life. And we say things like this. Well, I could have told you that was going to happen. Oh, I saw that coming. Oh, I'm not, I'm not surprised. What do you think could happen if we turn that around to the positive? I am not surprised that that young lady got her blessing. I am not surprised that that young man was filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm not surprised that that little girl was healed from leukemia. Did you not see her parents wailing at an altar? Did you not feel that expectation that something was about to break? Did you not see God coming on the horizon? I hope... I hope we can get to a place where we're not surprised when things work out. That we're not surprised when someone is blessed by God because our hope is the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I wouldn't be surprised if the Lord showed up tonight already. I wouldn't be surprised if people's needs are already being met. I wouldn't be surprised if people are already being healed of cancer right now in the house. I wouldn't be surprised if God was already moving in the midst. I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be shocked if he wasn't. I'd be shocked if he didn't already answer my prayer. I'd be shocked if he already didn't take care of my problem. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody, why don't we thank him right now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. The Bible says in everything, give thanks. So that means in the hard times, give thanks. When things don't look right, give thanks. When there's no hope in sight, give thanks. Because he operates in a thankful heart. He really does. Praise God. Hallelujah. The breeding ground for miracles is expectancy. When you come expecting something from God, not because you did anything, not because you deserve it, but because God is able. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Have you ever stepped back and examined yourself? going to get quiet for a minute. That's okay. Have you ever literally examined your own life? I'm not talking about examining your physical body, but have you ever looked into a mirror and examined who you are? 
When Brother Stacy stares into a mirror, he sees the Brother Stacy that he's known since he was born to the day he is right now. When we know him as who we've seen him uh, for, for however long we've known him. But, but who better than to examine than yourself? When a doctor, when you go to a doctor for whatever it may be, whatever sickness, whatever it is, the doctor will poke and prod and he'll do his, his, his way of questioning and assumptions and, and reading your answers to try to get to the source, try to get to exactly what the ailment is. You can tell him all you want to tell him, but he has to look deeper than what you're saying. He has to, otherwise you will never get a correct diagnosis. Never. Because human nature is to always withhold information. It don't matter what it is. You may have fallen off a cliff. You may have, have stubbed your toe. You may have broken your arm. But there's some detail you're either going to forget or you're going to hold out that the doctor has to look deeper in to try to find. <clears throat> many times, many times, I've been to several different doctors. They will, some of them are thorough, thorough to a fault. Doctors will find issues that you didn't even know were there. Some doctors will find issues that you didn't want to know were there. Some doctors will find issues you didn't want the doctor to know were there because they're thorough. Some doctors will read through your answers, line up the evidence, line up things and say, uh, this is exactly what the problem is here. I know you think it's this, but really this is the issue. And sometimes we disregard doctors. We do. They're humans, right? And sometimes we take them with a grain of salt. We want to believe it or we don't want to believe it. And we ignore them or we take it home and we bank on it. I was standing in the medical examiner's office oh, several years ago in the MEP station in Memphis, Tennessee. When this older gentleman came out of a corner office, he was the chief, examining, uh, chief medical examiner there. And as we all were told to do the duck walk across the floor, he sat and examined every move and every motion we made across this floor. And then the sergeant said, get out on the ground. We got down. We said, get up. We jumped up. He said, run over there. We ran over there. And he said, stop. You stopped. And I kept thinking, what's with all the yelling? What's with all the telling me what to do? Isn't this supposed to be a physical examination? Aren't you supposed to check my eyes, check my ears, see if my blood pressure is up, see if it's down? You know, stuff like I've always thought an examination would be. But it wasn't until this examination that I realized most examinations I've been through, the doctor was just going through the motions. Because this doctor come out of the corner, he had to have been in his, in his 80s. He was an older man. He come out of that corner hollering and yelling for everybody to stop. And he looked at this one young man. He said, you lied to me. And we all stood there at attention waiting. We didn't know what was going on. He said, you lied to me. And the man said, no, sir. He said, you did. He said, when did you break your ankle and how? He said, well, yeah, I didn't. He says, you're lying. You got one chance right now to tell me the truth. We were all trying to be Marines. We were all trying to go into the Marine Corps. This man had lied on his examination sheet and didn't put information he didn't think was pertinent. And the doctor found out by deep examination through his eyes and through the patient's motions. The young man was kicked out, not allowed in, all because of a lie he told. I don't think it mattered that he had a bum ankle. I really don't. I think they can work with physical ailments. But the problem was he was not going to accept anybody trying to hide character flaws, integrity, morals, honesty, things you had to be to get in. 
They weren't looking to make a marine out of nothing. They were looking for people who already possessed the traits of someone who's honest, someone who's going to fulfill their duty, someone who's going to stand up to the call. In the same way, I'll get to my message. Don't you worry. It's getting there. The same way a pastor stands at a pulpit and preaches every Sunday and every Wednesday and on a Friday night and on a Monday night and he stands and he looks and he examines you and he tells you, you're not doing right. I know you tell me you're doing right, but you, and we hold a grudge. No, I've never done that, pastor. I'm not doing that. Why don't we step back, get a hold of some integrity, get a hold of some morals, and when the man of God steps into your life, it's not because he's mad at you. It's not because he's looking to kick you out. But he wants you to look into a mirror of self-examination and be the one that says, I've got to change here. I've got to make an exam. I've got to make a line here. And I've got to draw it tonight. That's what a pastor does when he looks into your spirit and he says, Brother, I know you tell me this is what's going on, but I'm seeing something deeper. You know, most days now, pastors hardly can even do that to their saints without the saint getting offended. I'm not trying to be out of line. And if we get offended at him, he is tied. His hands are tied. Because we say, no, ain't nothing wrong with me. I know you say there is, but there's not. I'm fine. I'm going to go home and live how I want to live, do as I want to do, think how I want to think, say what I want to say, and I'm not going to listen to the doctor in my life. John chapter 5, getting to my text, and I promise you I'll be quick with this. John chapter 5, verses 4 through 9 says this. Praise God. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first thirst, sorry, whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Next verse. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Somebody say thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, okay, right there, I'd like to show you something. It talks about the angel coming down. But then it talks about Jesus doing the examination. All right? And sometimes God does the examination when he sends the angel to the pool to stir the waters. And we think, what's he stirring up trauma for? What's he stirring up my life for? What's he stirring up my problem for? And Jesus steps back and says, I saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case. He saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? You know your issues. I'm sorry to put it blunt, but you know where you're weak. You know where you fall. You know where you can't stand on your own. And Jesus looks from, from, from the pulpit through the eyes of the angel and says, Are you going to sit there all day long, or are you going to finally give it up and be whole? Are you going to hold on to your infirmity for another year, or are you finally going to say, I'm going to be made whole? It's up to you. If you really want to lay down that problem, you'll lay it down. If you really want to walk away from that situation, you'll walk away. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. If we were going to be Marines, we had to act the part. If I'm going to make it to heaven, 
I better not be afraid of an examining officer standing before me telling me, knock it off, live right, stand up, pull up your pants, start living a right life. Hallelujah. On a weekly basis, you can find here in this church the stirring of the waters. If you don't know this setting of scripture, this is the pool of Bethesda. And at every certain time of certain seasons, an angel would come forth from God. He would stir the waters. And whoever made it into the pool first was healed of their infirmity. Whether it be blindness, any sickness, any type of disease, there was healing. And on a weekly basis, there is a stirring of the waters that goes forth from a pulpit, from a pastor, from an angel of the church that is stirred. Why? Because he wants to point out your flaw? No. Because he knows you need healing. He knows that you can't make it with your infirmity. Psalms 107 says it like this. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Sometimes we need deliverance from our own selves. Sometimes we need deliverance from the destructions we've let loose on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. Why? Because we're human. Why? Because we're inherently evil. But God said, I want to heal you. I want to restore you. I want to fix you. But you've got to be able to listen when the angel stirs the waters. Hallelujah. Revelation 2, 1, 2, 8, 2, 12, 2, 18, 3, 1, 3, 7, 3, 14. All refer to this angel as the pastor. You don't believe me? I'll give you those scriptures later. You can check it out for yourself. But it talks about the angel of the church being the pastor of the church. He didn't put me up to this message, but I feel somebody needs to hear something. He's not just some brother, some some friend, somebody I want to go hang out with. He's your pastor. And if you you can't respect your pastor, God ain't going to respect you. God ain't going to hear you when you come crying. You better respect the angel in your life. You better respect him. You better do what he says. Praise God. He's telling me, I know of your problems. I see your addictions, but I sent an angel to you. I see what you're going through, but I sent you help. I sent the man you need. Praise God. God is telling someone tonight, it may not be your season. Oh, you know, he said he sent him in a certain season. It's just not my season. But the thing is this. It was not the man that laid there impotent for 38 years. It wasn't his season either. If it was his season, he'd have been in the pool. He'd have been in the water that was stirred. But Jesus said, are you going to be made whole? He says, I've got no one to help me in the water. He says, get up. Get your problem. Get your bed and walk. And I want you to know in verse 13, verse 14, you know where Jesus found him? Jesus found him in the temple. He didn't heal him at the temple, but he found him at the temple. You know, the problem is we get our miracle, we get our blessing, we get our healing, we get this, we get that, and we squander it, and we're never seen again. I got a friend of mine down south. His sister was dying of cancer, and he, and he stood in the back, and I said, if you want your sister made whole, get to this altar right now. 
He ran to the front. We prayed for him. It wasn't two weeks later. His sister was made whole, made free, made completely whole, cancer-free. And let me tell you something. She came for two months to church. And when everything started going normal, she left church, went back to her habits, went back to her life, and she died three days after leaving church. And the doctor said, I don't know what to tell you. She was cancer-free. The problem is this. If God wants to heal somebody, we've got to be willing to get up under the shadow of the Almighty. If I'm not willing to get under the shadow of the Almighty, you can hang it up. I won't see victory. I won't see healing. I won't see miracles. I won't see salvation. But if somebody, if anybody in this house would make up your mind on a Wednesday night, I'm going to get close to the angel of the church. I know some of you aren't getting it, and that's fine. Maybe you'll take the tape home and listen to it. Maybe you'll pray about it. Maybe you won't. But somebody in here is understanding what I'm talking about tonight. The angel in your life is not some Michael, some Gabriel, some high angelic host who's going to blow into your world with these big wings. But the angel that's in your life is a man of God who's not afraid to tell you, knock it off. Who's not afraid to tell you, you've got to walk the line. Thank God for the angel in my life. Thank God for a pastor who's not afraid to say wrong is wrong, white is white, and black is black. He's not afraid to tell me. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I know I'm running short on time, but I wonder if somebody, anybody would make up your mind tonight on a Wednesday night. I'm going to start listening to the angel in my life. I wonder if somebody would make up in your mind he's not just somebody. He didn't come here to make friends. He didn't come here to make enemies. But that's what usually happens. I wonder if somebody would put on your thinking cap, put on some thick skin, and start letting the angel that's in your life direct you, cut off things that will keep you away. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Why don't you stand across the building today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not trying to beat nobody up. I'm trying to help somebody recognize there's a call in your life. There's a ministry in your life. And for if you're ever going to fulfill the call, if you're ever going to hear from God again, you've got to line up under the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you, Jesus. These altars are open if somebody wants to pray. Why don't we let God know we're serious? Why don't we let God know where we stand? We know where He stands. He's drawn the line in the sand. Why don't we line up? Come on, these altars are open. Somebody pray. Somebody reach. Somebody try. Somebody give your best effort. If you want healing, why don't you come up here? If you want deliverance, why don't you let me pray for you? If you want something to happen, in your life, God is willing.